Please turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I've thought about doing a whole sermon series for about six months just on Romans chapter 8. But we'll get into it just a little bit here this morning. Romans chapter 8, we'll start at verse 14. Hear God's word for you and for me. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And of children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we also may be glorified with Him. This is the word of the Lord. Back in 2004, Lisa and I, before we had kids, spent a fall, about four months, outside of Philadelphia at a mission agency living in a big stone castle. And every Friday, this missionary community that we were candidates, they had to uh, check us out before they would send us out to Equatorial Guinea in their name. And for four months, every Friday, this missionary community would hold a prayer meeting. And prayer requests would pour in from all over the world, from Africa, from Southeast Asia, all around the world. And as I look back on those weeks, on those Friday mornings, I can honestly and sadly say that my most common experience during those prayer meetings was one of boredom. And I wondered why. And I often wondered, what are we doing here, Lord? Are we really changing anything? Are we really changing me? Who's being changed? What is going on? And so I wondered why I often felt like that. Larry Crabb, Christian author and counselor, one of my spiritual heroes, says he was often dragged to prayer meetings as a young child along with his parents. He says this, my dad really seemed to enjoy them. I could never figure them out. We'd all close our eyes and tell someone I'd never met named God How wonderful he was for sending Jesus to the cross and for giving us the Bible. And then we'd ask him for all sorts of things we wanted. Is that what prayer is? Larry Crabb writes this. Maybe you can also empathize with what he's saying here. He says, suppose you start with petitionary prayer and give no real time or focus to knowing God more richly. Worshiping Him more deeply. Thanking Him more humbly. Interceding for others more selflessly. Don't relate to God. Use Him instead. Worship Him for the visible good He does you. Not for the supreme worth of His being. Disguise your spirit of entitlement in the cloak of thanksgiving. Expressing gratitude for what you really think God should give you anyway. Intercede for others with your own happiness and comfort in view. Then go to God in petitionary prayer. Ask Him for whatever you want. In that condition of heart, your prayers will have as much influence on God 
as the whining of a two-year-old on good parents. Larry Crabb suggests that maybe before we get things from God, maybe we should get God. And as I look back on my own prayer life, especially the times of my deepest frustration and discouragement and disillusionment with prayer, I wonder if it doesn't all stem from the very same source. That is, maybe before I get things from God, maybe I should get God relationally in prayer. If Paul Miller is right when he says prayer is the real me encountering the real God, I often wonder, well, how does that happen? How does that really work? And so as I evaluated my own prayer life some 10 or 15 years ago, with Larry Crabb's help, my prayer life, I could say, honestly consisted of this. A short list of thanksgivings followed by a long laundry list of petitions. God, you're a good God. You're a God who keeps your promises. Thank you for sending Jesus to save me. Now, here's all the stuff that I want from you. What was I doing? I was using God. I was essentially saying to God, God, I am more interested in your blessings than I am of you. God, I'm more interested in the stuff that I think will make my life work, that will make my life happy far more than in a relationship with you. And so what happens when we don't get those type of prayers answered? What do we do? Well, at least what I do is I get upset with God. I throw a spiritual temper tantrum with God for not allowing him to use, not allowing me to use him like I think that I deserve. That is, I come entitled to God asking for my blessings. I come entitled. Lord, you owe me a few things in life. And slowly the relational aspect of prayer gets pushed to the margins. And this was when Larry Crabb's counsel to me was so helpful He says, maybe petitionary prayer is supposed to come after relational prayer. He says, relational prayer is the center of all true prayer. The power of petitionary prayer, asking God for things, depends on the centrality of relational prayer. Think about Jesus when he walked this earth. How did he pray? For Jesus, relational prayer was central to his prayer life. When he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, about to suffer cruel death on the cross, how did he pray? How did he address God? He called God his Abba, Father. Abba is an Aramaic term, term that the Greek New Testament kept because it reminded the early disciples of the prayer life of Jesus Abba means dear father, or even dad or, or daddy. It's a, a term of respect, but also coupled with such intimacy. It's likely that when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, he probably also used the Aramaic term Abba to address the God of the universe. 
I don't know about you, but the majority of my children have already passed over from calling me daddy to now calling me dad. And don't get me wrong, I love hearing the word dad. It's often a term of warmth. It's often a term of affection. Though sometimes it can be an eight-syllable word. As in dad, right? And get whiny really quickly. But by and large, I love when I hear the word dad. Why? Because when I hear the word dad, I get that my children are conversing with me. They're relating to me. They're in my presence. So even just hearing the word dad brings joy to my heart. There are very few titles that I have that I appreciate and love and find more joy than dad. But if truth be told, I sometimes miss hearing the word daddy. Daddy was such an intimate word. The person, the child, the young child that's still calling mommy, mommy, or or daddy, daddy, is living life unencumbered, free to love, free to trust, free just to be in the Father's presence because you know that your daddy loves you. And I'm no psychologist or sociologist, but I often wonder why and when little children switch from calling their daddy and then they start saying dad. Or even as a young age, kids stop calling mommy, mommy, but instead call her mom. What's going on there? I wonder as our even young children look out into the world, they begin to understand human interaction. They begin to understand that such deep and vulnerable intimacy is really strange. It's really odd in our world. That is cold, hard steel that builds our cities. Efficient technology that runs our world is way more commonplace to their world. And so do they draw back? even at a young age, from such relational intimacy, recognizing that such relational intimacy truly is a scarce commodity in our world today. And so when we hear the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, also in Galatians 4, he says something amazing. Because you'd think that Jesus, in His unique identity as the Son of God, would have exclusive rights over calling God His Abba Father. After all, Jesus alone dies for the sins of humanity. Jesus alone was born the Virgin Mary. Jesus alone instituted the two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. But incredibly, Paul says that Jesus addressing God as his Abba Father is not unique to Jesus's identity. Rather, that we've been adopted, incorporated into this very same family of Jesus. Paul says, you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back again into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We cry, Abba, Father, not as a proclamation, but as a prayer in which we recognize our adoption as sons and daughters, and God as our Heavenly Father. In other words, Paul is trying to say there's something deeply relational about prayer. 
And this pertains not only to Jesus himself, but also to his sons and daughters, you and I. I don't know about you, but the first prayer form I learned back, I think, in junior high was the Acts prayer, right? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. I've used that form for, for many years, but, but probably for the last decade, the prayer form that I've experimented with on and off for the last 10 years as a way to keep relational prayer at the center of prayer and petitionary prayer after that, it's called the Papa Prayer that I learned from Larry Crabb and it's found in his book called by the same title, title, The Papa Prayer. It's not a formula, it's not a magic wand you wave over your prayer life, but it is, I've found, a way to keep relational prayer at the center, center of your life with God. So here we go. First P of the Papa Prayer is this. Present yourself to God. Simply that, present yourself to God. Why is prayer so hard? Prayer is hard because we live at a pace of life wherein we become marginalized and distant even to our own hearts. So if relational prayer is the real me encountering the real God, the difficulty with relational prayer is that we are often lost from our own feelings. We're often lost from our own sense of identity. We're often lost from what is really going on in our hearts and in our minds. In short, we lived veiled lives even to ourselves. We live in a manner that is disconnected not only from God, but also from ourselves. Who is the person that God longs to encounter? Many of us have really no clue. No idea who that person is. My heart is often veiled to myself because of my busyness, because of the concerns of life, because of the pace in which we live our lives. And so the first thing you have to do in prayer is to find your red dot, as Larry Crabb puts it. What does, that, what does that mean? What does it mean, find your red dot? Imagine you're at a mall and you're lost. But you have to go to one particular store. And so what do you do? If you don't want to wander around aimlessly like the male species, you go to the directory, right? Where the shops are all listed out. And what's the first thing you have to do? You look for that big red dot with the arrow that says what? You are here. You are here. That is, you can't get to where you're going until you find out where you are. And friends, this is a great metaphor for approaching God in relational prayer. Find your red dot. Find the arrow that says you are here. God, here I am. This is what's going on with me. This is where I'm at. This is how I'm feeling right now in your presence. Present yourself to God. And as providence would have it, when I first read the Papa prayer, I was also reading through the book of Psalms. And I began to notice something that David did to open one of the Psalms, if not multiple Psalms. This is what he says and begins his recorded prayer in Psalm 25 by saying this. To you, O Lord, I lift my soul. To you, O Lord, I lift my soul. In other words, here's where I'm at, O Lord. Here's my red dot. Let me present to you myself, O Lord. To you, O Lord, I lift my soul. 
I think we've heard so many times the mantra in the evangelical church that it's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about you. Max Lucado even has a little book called It's Not About Me. Right? And so I think what we do is we come to prayer and we say, well, okay, well, it's, not about, it's not about me, so prayer must not be about me either. It's really about God. So we think, well, maybe prayer is not about me. And so what do we, I end up doing? I end up leaving myself out of that relationship with God. I end up saying, God, it's all about you. So here are some shallow thanksgivings followed by a long laundry list of petitions. And God is saying, no, Jason, I'm inviting you to enter this space with me in this relationship, in this prayer. It's about this relationship, the real you meeting the real God. And so I wonder if this changes the way we go about our prayer lives. This week after my wife, Lisa, her mother died on Wednesday, I want to find my red dot. I want to pray in the following way. To you, O Lord, I lift my soul. Lord, grief is exhausting. I'm coming to you weary these days, O Lord. Lord, if I'm really honest, I come scared about my ability to shepherd my wife's heart, my children's heart through the grief. Lord, I'm fearful of missing the moment, Lord, of how you might want to minister to my family. Lord, we feel helpless in the face of death. Present yourself to God. Find your red dot. Prayer comes and begins with an authentic dose of presenting all of who you are before the Father. Why? Because God wants to meet the real you. Why is prayer so hard? Because first of all, we're disconnected from who we are. If you're struggling in your marriage, how do you pray? Oh Lord, I'm struggling to love my spouse yet again. If you're struggling with health concerns, oh Lord, I feel powerless, tired of dealing with this illness. Whatever is going on inside you, bring that forth and offer it to God. So present yourself to God. Second, attend to how you're thinking of God. Attend to how you're thinking of God. Larry Crabb writes this, My one rule is to never pretend in prayer, never convince myself that I'm aware of something supernatural when I'm not. He says, or that I'm petitioning the Almighty God when I'm really snapping my fingers for the butler to bring me coffee. When you pray, how do you visualize God? In your mind's eye or in your heart of hearts, what are you thinking when you approach God in prayer? Larry Crabb says this in his book. He said, I have a friend who prayed for two years for a job that never materialized. And he said, when I pray, all I see is the blank stare of God. Crabb asked another person who she visualized God to be in prayer. And she quickly replied, and very honestly, I might add, a weak pygmy. Crabb writes, I hadn't heard this one before, this image of God. So I asked her what she meant. The woman says, I sometimes feel like I'm talking to an weak, undersized person. Though he means well, he can't do anything for me. On the handout in your bulletin, 
you'll see ten false images of God that are often typical of how we approach God from the blank stare of God to the vending machine God to God as a cruel tyrant. And then a very common one, that the stern patriarch, very far from an Abba, Father. When you pray, attend to how you're thinking of God. What images are coming to mind? Are those biblical images? We may have to correct those images with the biblical images of God. We may have to remind ourselves in the very act of prayer who God is. And that's why prayer and the Word of God go hand in hand. Attend to how I'm thinking of God. Is there a way that I'm thinking of God that's not quite right? Can I correct that thinking with a true portrait, biblical portrait of who God is? Are you praying to the triune God of grace? Are you praying to the resurrected Lord who sits on the throne at the right hand of God the Father Almighty? Are you praying to the crucified Jesus who still bears in His body the scars of Calvary? Are you praying to that God? When we come into prayer, we have baggage about who God is. But if the real you wants to meet the real God, we need to be very sure we're praying to the biblical portrait of God in the Word of the Lord. Is God this gloriously strong but intimate Father, Abba, who is beckoning you to relationship? And so again, I ask, how would I pray this week following Lisa's mother's death? Maybe I'd pray like this. God, if I'm honest, I just want the vending machine, God, to dispense blessings over my life. Or an easy button, God. And for prayer to just to make all things better. My wife's heart better. Death not to invade our lives. Lord, but when I read Scripture, I read Scriptures like this. That we are children and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we also may be glorified with Him. Lord, it's hard to pray to a suffering servant because my spirit of entitlement falls quickly, too quickly to the floor. Second P, purge yourself of anything blocking your relationship with God. Larry Crabb states, when I think about God, when I think about the true biblical portrait of God, I think also of myself. And that's good because it's relational. As I've said a few times here in the sanctuary, John Piper once said that nobody stands at the Grand Canyon and says, aren't I great? C.S. Lewis counsels us, we must lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us as we go to God in prayer. In other words, relational prayer goes in the same trajectory as Psalm chapter 8. The psalmist who prayed, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? If we're not humble before God in prayer, we have failed to meet with the biblical God. We have failed to practice Relational prayer. And so the second P is that you purge yourself of anything blocking your relationship with God. How would I pray this week? 
purging myself of anything blocking my relationship with the Lord. Maybe I'd pray like this, Lord, forgive me for the times when I don't want to relate to the suffering servant. And I don't want to relate to a sovereign father. The times when I'd like to control you, O God. Forgive me when I'd rather relate to a vending machine God who dispenses blessings and bring me back to you, O Lord. So present yourself to God. Find your red dot. To you, O Lord, I lift my soul. Attend to how you're thinking about God. Purge yourself of anything blocking your relationship with God. And the final A, approach God as the first thing in your life. The main thing. The most important thing. The most essential thing in your life. Approach God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The triune God of grace that you most want to know. Somewhere in the deepest recesses of your soul. It's there. When you approach God saying, God, you are the first in my affection. You are first in my choices. You are first in my love. You're praying after Jesus who said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, what? All these second things will be added unto you. C.S. Lewis once said, when you pursue first things, you get second things thrown in. When you pursue second things first, you lose even first things. If you approach God as the first thing in your life, and then you go to petitionary prayer, flowing from your union and your communion with God, this relational prayer frees you up to actually pray for secondary things. In other words, then you can pray about your health. You can pray about your finances. You can pray about your children. You can pray about your grief. But your union with God is unchangeable and untouchable. And so even though that I shared that I feel like I'm enrolled just in the kindergarten school of prayer. There are times over the last decade, and I hope increasingly, when I can honestly say to the Lord, I can feel it. I do want you above all things. I do want you above accomplishments, above a good family, Above security. Lord, just give me you. That'll be enough for me. How do you pray in this way? Maybe I'd pray, oh, Father, through this grief. Yes, we want comfort. Yes, we want peace. Yes, we want all the details arranged. Lord, but more than those second things, we want you. More of your presence, more of your spirit, more of your sanctifying grace in our lives. More of you convince me, Lord, of the truth of what Paul wrote in Philippians 1, for to me to live is Christ and die is gain. Father, can't you remind me of the truth of Romans 14? If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So that we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Lord, I want lots of second things. Help me approach you as the first thing in my life. All those things will be added unto us. Friends, let me commend to you the Papa prayer.
You have an Abba Father who loves you. He's crazy about you. Let's pray.